0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. We recently did an entire day at a theme park, and the biggest line in the entire park was for a water fountain. This is why I was so thankful that I brought my hydro jug with me. Not only did I bring my hydro jug, but I also brought a sleeve with it. And the sleeve had a big strap and I had it strapped on my body all day long, staying hydrated and staying out of those long lines for water. But I've talked about hydro jugs before. They're all over my house. I have one on my desk. I have one on my bedside table. I've got one on my office desk as well. And I have one in my car, always ready to go. But let me tell you a little bit more about it, because not only are they the cutest water bottles you will ever get your hands on, they hold half a gallon of water. They have a leak-proof seal, a wide mouth opening, a carry loop, an integrated handle, a measurement scale, BPA-free plastic, dishwasher safe, and shatter-proof bottle. There's over 40 combinations between colors and sleeves to choose, and the sleeve has that adjustable strap that I mentioned you can carry your hydro jug with ease. Aside from convenience and function, like I said, it's a damn good-looking bottle. I recently paired my blush pink one with a cow print. I did lavender with a leopard. You can just have so much fun, and it ends up being like a little bit of a an accessory to your wardrobe, I might say. And right now you can get 10% off with the code papaya. Head to thehydrojug.com to customize your jug and use my code papaya for 10% off your purchase. Here's the link if you would like it as well. com slash discount slash papaya trust me. Oh my gosh. This water bottle. I don't know what it is besides, I mean, maybe that amazing list of reasons why, but it's just the best. I've been loving it so much. I hope you do too. Like I said, code papaya at the Let's get back to the show. All right, everyone, welcome back. Today, we have a really cool conversation, one that I am really looking forward to diving into, and that is like all around motherhood, being a working mom, and the legitimacy around being a content creator. Please welcome Renee of The Mom Room, now The Mom Room podcast as well. You are a mom, but you also have a PhD. And now you've segued into being a content creator. Kind of give us the goods. I know you're new into like this world, newish, but you're you're, you know, a rising star within it all. But I'd love for you to kind of like talk about how you got into being a content creator around motherhood. What spurred this on? What brought you to this place of being like I think I'm kind of funny. I think I'm kind of relatable. I think I've got something to say on the internet because a lot, I think a lot of people have those moments. I'd love for you to kind of give us the goods of how this all happened for you.
1: Yes. So I, my PhD is in psychology and I had Milo right before I was almost done my dissertation. So What's even, a dissertation? You so, uh, dissertation. Like I'm
0: five.
1: Yeah. <laughs> dissertation is like the major research project that you do over the course of your PhD, and then at the end of your PhD, you have to like formally defend your research in front of a committee, and they like ask you all these questions. Wow. Very high, sounds anxiety. like a nightmare. So, even though I was close to being done, I took the full twelve months maternity leave from the program because I was like, I just want this 12 months to focus on me and Milo and that's it. So very happy that I did that. But after having Milo, I started to experience things that nobody had told me about. First of all, the physical recovery. I was like, what the F? Like I did not understand. And I did not have a complicated like labor and delivery. And I was just in shock at the physical recovery and the fact that now you have to take care of a little baby. So it was the physical recovery. I had postpartum anxiety, which I'm already an anxious person and I take medication for anxiety. So I can imagine what that would have been like Had I not been on medication. And so I didn't want visitors around at all. Like I just wanted my mom. I wanted my sister, which I was not expecting because in TV and, you know, on movies, all like you see people have babies and it's just like revolving door of visitors nonstop and everyone's happy and it's a party and yay. And I was like, no, I didn't want visitors for a long time, like a few weeks. So that was. Strange. And I was like, am I the only one that feels this way? So, because I wasn't doing school stuff, I took the maternity leave and started creating mom content, mostly on Instagram, just talking about these things that I was experiencing. And I started a blog. And so, I would write these blog posts about not wanting visitors after giving birth and, like, you know, encouraging other moms to stand up for yourself. Because I got so many stories about how guilty people feel to say they don't want visitors most people just let everyone come over. They're having, you know, really bad anxiety. They're struggling to breastfeed and they're miserable the whole time. And it broke my heart because I was like, you're not like, that is your one, you know, those few weeks you're not going to get back with your newborn baby. So it broke my heart to hear that moms were having a terrible experience during those weeks because they felt bad saying that they didn't want visitors or, you know, if they did speak up, their boundaries weren't being respected. And so I just like, I found there were a lot of things that I wanted to talk about on social media. So I started the blog, started the Instagram account. Then I, the maternity leave was over. Milo started daycare. I finished school literally days before the first quarantine. So I defended my dissertation in Ottawa came home and like three days later, everything was shut down. So it was like, congratulations on finishing. You know, you've been in grad school for 10 years. (laughs) You finally finish and now you get to, you know, be home alone with a toddler. My husband's a physician, so he was still working his regular job. So it was quite a shock because I was so like on this role of finishing school and like getting excited to move on to a next thing. And then it was like, everything was shut down. And I was just stuck at home. And so I started to make TikToks. And what I was doing is basically making little entertaining videos on TikTok that were still talking about the more difficult things that I was writing about on my blog. And so TikTok just kept growing and growing and growing over quarantine. And then I started focusing more on producing content on both Instagram and TikTok. And then I started the podcast. I was like, how can I, you know, at that time, the the longest TikTok video was, I think, 60 seconds. So I was like, how can I, you know, expand on these conversations and talk to other people about these topics that everybody seems to relate to and goes through, but people are not talking about. So I was like, ah, I'll do a podcast. So I bought all the equipment, set up a little studio in my closet, started the podcast. It took off, was doing really well. Um, And then once things started to calm down with COVID, my husband and I just kind of decided that I would keep doing the social media stuff and working on the podcast. So all the money that I have been making from brand partnerships, um, I funnel back into the podcast and like to try and grow what I'm doing basically.
0: While the world is racing to get back to normal and start meeting up again in person, it's been a year that we've all had and getting back to normal, but feeling normal, well, that might be taking some time. I've been feeling that. I've had multiple experiences now where my anxiety just goes through the roof by basically walking out of the front door. If you're feeling overwhelmed by it all, trust me, you are not alone. It's important to find the support you need to face those feelings and move forward. Last year, I really struggled through some prenatal depression, and I felt like I had a lot of friends around me. I felt like they were able to listen to me, but I wasn't getting any practical advice, what I could actually use to move forward. During that season, I was able to reach out and get therapy, and I'm so glad I did. I can't tell you how transformative it was. So today I want to talk to you about Talkspace. Whether you're a parent, student, millennial, or just someone having a hard day, Talkspace can provide the support to help you feel better with a single message. Talkspace offers individual and couples therapy in addition to medical prescription services. You can even set goals with your therapist and they can help make sure that you're really progressing. Talkspace therapists help you develop tools to help cope in difficult times, no matter what they might be. They have thousands of licensed therapists and they're available for you to match with. Talkspace therapists are experts in dozens of specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more to help you start feeling better. Start feeling better with a single message match with a licensed therapist. When you go to talkspace.com and get a hundred dollars off your first month with the promo code papaya. That's $100 off. When you use the code papaya at talkspace.com. Now let's head back into the show.
1: Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein. Over the past 15 years, it's been my mission to help people crack open to a spiritual connection of their own understanding. On my podcast, Dear Gabby, I offer up real time coaching, straight talk, and guidance on stress, burnout, loss, relationships, spirituality, and everything in between. There's no small talk here, there's only big talk. Dear Gabby isn't just a podcast, it's a movement. People need to feel loved. They need clear guidance. And most of all, they need to know they're not alone. I've got your back, my friend. Join me every Monday for a new episode of Dear Gabby.
0: Now, let me go back a little bit for you because, or with you, (laughs) not for you, but with you, because you know, you were this student, you were this academic person, you're getting a PhD. These are like, you're doing a (laughs) dissertation, which I had to ask what it was. You're doing things that people are like, ooh, about how was it publishing a TikTok the first time? And you have to remember when you started doing this, we were still all kind of mocking TikTok. We were still in this like little edgy of like, oh, I'm never going to do, no, that's like for, that's Gen Zers, like all these like older people trying to be cool. Like there was a lot of like naysaying about it while simultaneously we were all scrolling it at the same time. I'm not saying I had these judgments. I'm saying I know that they existed because I've heard them. Did you struggle with imposter syndrome there? Did you struggle with like, are people going to judge me? Or were you just like, fuck it, I'm doing it. I'm
1: not, I've never had the issue of like, I'm super confident and I don't like, I have just like You know, what is it? Beat to the rhythm of my own drum or whatever that saying is. Like, I have done that my whole life. And it's funny because in school, like, I'm a very academic person. I excelled in school. I love being in school because I'm good at it. But like, I was always the one getting comments on my presentations that was like, maybe you could be a little bit more professional because, you know, like, I wanted to throw (laughs) gifts up in the middle of my like academic presentations. (laughs) and i was delivering the information in a more entertaining way. and it's funny because like the males, like the, the guys in the class would never get that kind of comment if they went up and presented information in an entertaining way, but i would always get that comment like a little bit more professional. and i'm like i would still get an a. i would still get an a because the information's there, i did the work, but it was always like a little more professional. so i was like, you know what? like I have always kind of had that little, like not edge to me, but just wanting to do things in the way that I want to do them and presenting information in a fun way. And so I just kind of moved that into TikTok. And no, like, I think once you start creating content and people are like, Oh my God, me too. You're making me feel so much better about like quarantine with my children. And like, you see how Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. even a silly little video can impact somebody else's day or weak, or make them view something in a different way, that's very empowering. And that is very, um, like that motivates me to just keep going. So if someone's making fun of me because I'm making TikToks, that really like would not affect me at all. I would just be like, oh, well, you're lost. Like you know, I'm having fun.
0: Yeah. Recently, I did an interview with Heidi D'Amelio, who is the mom of Charlie and Dixie. And the one thing that really fascinated me about it was, you know, so much in media, how there's these conversations around these girls who like didn't do anything and they just had this overnight success. And now they just have careers handed to them because they have a TikTok following. And then I talked to her mom and was hearing kind of the backstory of like how many classes they went to, how much training they did, how their lives like revolved around learning these different things. And it really made me feel like a lot of times we view the lens of people on social media as being, you know, uneducated or people who don't have a choice to do anything else. They're just like, okay, that's, and and to be honest, that's my story. That's my story because I was I never went to school because my husband went to school. I was the one working and then I was the one having the babies and staying at home while he worked because that was the only way that we could afford life. I was, I stayed at home not, not purely by choice, but by like financial need. Like we couldn't afford daycare. It was cheaper for me to stay at home. I couldn't earn enough money. So when I built up doing a career online, there was a little bit of like, oh, I made a job out of nothing. But for a lot of people, they will still view social media and creatorship as something that is for those who didn't kind of go through the hoops of like an academic program or, you know what I mean? Like there's this weird perception of it's like, oh, you just did this and you got, it's like a popularity contest and you just got this because, you know, you're funny or you got this because of that instead of like, kind of speak to like the level of, were you surprised at the level of work that being a creator is? Like, cause I think you, cause you talked about the fact you're, your child's in daycare, your husband is working a full-time job and you're doing this as a full-time, this is not just like a cutesy mummy side gig. This is your it's job. It's a lot of work. And I don't think it anybody is, talks
1: about that. It not a lot of work. And I'm so lucky because my husband could easily be like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like stop, like <laughs> stop with <laughs> yeah, the, I'm fair, like, yeah. I'm going to start a podcast. I'm ordering a microphone on Amazon. He's like, okay okay. Like super supportive. Like, like I'm so lucky for that. But I think just to what you said about education, I don't think it's right to put like a value on a person as a content creator based on their education because. Right. Or assume that they're educated or not. Why does it matter? It really does not matter because whatever, like at the end of the day, if they have a following, they're bringing value to their following in some way, whether that's comedy, whether that's learning how to properly fold clothes, it can be anything. And so the fact that social media has allowed all these different kinds of people that have all these different kinds of talents to build a career without having to do a formal Mm -hmm. education, which I know I have a PhD, but I'll be the first to say like, If you're not really into school, don't do it. It's a waste of money. You know, a master's degree or even an undergrad degree is like the new high school degree. People get undergrads, they're in major student debt, and they don't even know what they want to do. So unless you have this clear path of why you need to go to school, like think about it before you go. Don't just go because everyone is, you know, you're expected to go to university. So yeah, I think it's great now that social media has allowed everybody to kind of find their niche and make a career out of it.
0: Yeah. And then also, you know, acknowledging the fact that, like you said right now, all the money you're making is going back into, you know, building your career. It's, it can be a while before it backs out. And so there's like that part of you that wants to be like, yes, anybody can do this. But at the same time, like it might take time because you probably will still have to have a regular job or be supported while you're doing it because it is a lot of work um, and it's different, but I kind of want to talk to you about you know, segue this into the fact that you, you know, if you were still in school and you're putting your child in daycare, I think a lot of people would be like, that's a necessary step. That's something you have to do. But as a creator, as somebody who chooses this job every day, have you dealt with any mom guilt when it comes to creating mom content while your kid is simultaneously in childcare? Because, you know, that feels like it's combating each other, but realistically. I think it's probably best that your child, I'm just going to say this before you even answer. I think it's probably best your child is in the care of somebody (laughs) while you're doing what people, What people scroll for 15 seconds on TikTok is probably hours of actual work of like producing, creating, editing, posting. It's, you know, it could be half a day to a full day. That's just not how we consume it. So I think a lot, there might be a lot of assumptions around that, but I wondered if you dealt with any of those assumptions and if mom guilt really came into play um, with your career as a content creator.
1: I noticed a huge, because I grew a lot in quarantine, a lot of my content was probably very relatable to people who usually stay home with kids and had those kinds of struggles, right? And so once his daycare opened back up, then my content probably shifted in the eyes of other people because now I wasn't home with Milo all day, every day. And so I did get a lot of comments like, like, Oh, like, you know, maybe you should take care of your kid instead of playing around on TikTok, or, you know, like typical comments that people leave that it doesn't really affect me when people say things like that, because I have gone through the process of deciding what is best for us. And like we talked about on my episode, like, it's the variables. like we have a phenomenal daycare. Milo thrives in daycare. he loves going. he has all his friends. I need to also be a happy person and feel fulfilled and like I'm doing what I want to do and reaching goals that I set for myself. And so at the end of the day, it's when I think about it in in that way, it's easy for me to be like, yeah, it's, it's fine that he goes to daycare. It's the best thing for him and for me and my husband agrees. But every once in a while, like I was saying before, you know, it crosses my mind like, ooh, should I be staying home with Milo and, you know, doing craps with him and putting all my attention onto him? But at the end of the day, if I did that, I would not be a happy person. Like I would feel so mm-hmm. And it sounds terrible to say and it's it's difficult to talk about because as a mom, people are probably thinking like how could you say that you're a mom and if you spend all your time with your child you're not going to be fulfilled? Like what kind of monster are you? You know what I mean? But dads do it all the time. Exactly. And and so it is awkward for me to say things like that, but it's the truth. Like I would not be fulfilled, I would not be happy being home and only taking care of Milo. Like, I need other projects. I need to be creating things. And with him being at home, like, that's impossible. So, Uh, uh, like, kids
0: need so much care and attention. And I think it's only the best when you exercise the ability, if you have it, if that choice is there for you, to know when it's not you. I think that that makes a good parent. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit on your podcast, but just kind of those differences between if I see so many like dad creators and they're full-time like YouTubers and I don't really see that same question posed to them with like, oh, like who's watching your kid? Are you not doing that? Or, you know, these questions that are posed around, um, you know, men are never the same as they are for women in terms of like how you parent. We, you know, we even discussed the fact that when you have a child, the new, the conversations around, you know, how quickly it all goes and you're never going to get this time back. And, you know, how dads are never, I've never, I've literally never heard that said to my husband. Like, are you, like, are you sure you want to go back to work? Like, are you sure after you're like, my husband took six weeks off and it was hard for him to go back. Like he really did enjoy being at home as like a support person. He also enjoyed like organizing the garage because he had time to do that. But I didn't hear Like he, while he kind of battled a little bit going back to work, nobody else was creating that layered pressure on him of like, how do you feel like going back here? Do you think you're maybe making the wrong career move here? Like you're never going to get this time back with your only child of your only like blood baby, I guess. Um, Are you sure about entering back into work? And women are kind of posed with this same type of thing all the time. Now, if you were, this might be a little bit personal and if it is, we will cut it from the whole podcast. But in terms of like having more children, how would you approach even doing maternity leave and having a baby. I ask this because I just went through this myself, going through being a creator, having your own stuff that you can't just take a mat leave from, quote unquote, but having that layered responsibility of, oh, you also have a baby to take care of. If you're going to do it again, even if you just don't even want to answer a question and just like a hypothetical, how would you approach it?
1: So I will say My husband is also technically self-employed because he's a surgeon. So he doesn't get... Surgeons are self-employed? Yes, it is. And people don't realize that. And so like we don't get benefits. We don't get anything like he's technically self-employed. So I had Milo on a Friday and my husband was back at work on Monday. Mm. And like people don't really think about that but you know he has like surgeries booked and it's kind of hard to plan the birth of a baby and you know what is he going to do cancel all his surgeries like it's a whole yeah, thing yeah 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 so if and we initially we were like no we just want one like that's it and my husband is still that way but I and I speak about this openly all the time I like kind of flip-flop every now and then but ultimately I feel like we'll just have one. But because it's I've flip-flopped a few times, I have really thought about what we would do because, like you said, I wouldn't have a maternity leave. And I honestly think like I am all about gather as much support as possible. Like I call it a modern day village, like order Uber Eats. Let's get a, a nighttime, like night nurse or whatever. Anything that we could afford, I would gather up and take for sure, like all the support possible. Um, and I think I would take probably like a couple months, three months, and then just slowly start reintroducing work stuff, probably similar to how you handled your situation
0: which was barely enough time. Like I think my stitches were just, and, and for me, I thought, you know, I did, I took six weeks and I thought that's so much time. Like that's a perfect amount of time. That's exactly the amount of time that my vagina sealed up. My like, you know, I would have had enough rest by then. We'll have a bit more of a schedule by then. I did not anticipate a baby who was a cluster feeder. I wouldn't have been able to anticipate a baby who was incredibly, like you look at her now and she's like the happiest baby in the world, but she was she cried like almost all day. And I thought I've never seen people on social media showing their crying babies. I felt so lonely in that. So then all of a sudden my content became like a lot of like, here's my crying baby. (laughs) Like, I don't even know what to put out here anymore, guys. Like, this is the best I can get. I'm struggling, like having a crying baby all day. But even if I was off of like, you know, content for other brands or, or, you know, actual deadlines, there was still that you're showing up within your community, which I love, which I love, which I love. I have to say that. But it it's very interesting. I've watched um one of my favorite creators, Laura Clarcy, Clary? Clarcy? I don't know. Clary? Yeah. You know, she had a baby and it was like within a week, she had one of the most viral videos she's ever had. And I thought, oh shit, like this is, this is big game stuff for a lot of families. They're both a creator in that family. So this is like their whole world. And it is a, it is a lot to kind of watch that. And be like, how are they figuring this out? How are they doing this? And, you know, I said to you, you know, earlier that I didn't realize how many people had support because it does seem like it's still this bit of a if you're able to have support. And like I said, like earlier, when I had kids in my twenties, we couldn't afford support and we couldn't afford for me to work. So like it did land all on my lap. So I just want to, I just want to like say, like, I understand that context is everything and situations are very, very different. But then knowing that we watch people on social media, even mom creators, people who are holes content is about being a mom that they still can have support, that they still can have these lives that are supported by other people, that are by hired help, that are by friends and family, their mom may be moved in. It is very easy to kind of watch everybody else doing it all and feel like, oh my gosh, like, like I watched Laura's video and it was so beautiful. so well done. And all I thought about was I did not get enough videos during my labor. I didn't get enough videos during my labor. I didn't get enough videos during the early days because I didn't know video was going to be such a thing. I'm so like, I wish I just could go back. I wish I could have like, career optimized my birth. Like what is fucking happening that we're having these thought processes because we, I watched somebody else do, they probably, you know, realistically, if it wasn't her, she's in video. She obviously has to think about these things and the storytelling angles of it. But there is, a, you know, that that fact that we watch these things and we just assume that one person's at the helm of it and it's the woman. She's got her meals on the table. Her house is clean. She has a great marriage. Their sex life is banging four times a week. Her vagina is like, you know, top-notch. Or, yeah. you know, she's getting her work done. Her children are matching in their outfits. They are lined up down the stairs. We start to do this, right? And we forget there is a support system in place. And we get, I I feel a lot of times it's taken me like months and months and months to admit having a nanny, admit having support, admit, um, you know, even it was easier for me to say that my mom was coming over to help than it was for me to say I hired somebody. Like I'm paying somebody. Yeah, I'm paying somebody. This next one is for all my fellow humans that deal with something called bloat. Well, bloat is one of those things that can really derail your day, can derail your outfit. It can just be the most uncomfortable feeling thing ever. So I'm going to share with you a little bit about Array. I discovered Array years ago. It was one of those things that was recommended to me, and it was something that worked really well, especially with travel, because when I was traveling so much, my stomach wasn't coping very well with it. Let me share with you a little bit more about Array and why they work so well. Well, Array was created to help women feel their best so that they can be their best through targeted products, which are 100% natural, filler-free, organic, and formulated by a naturopathic doctor. Array's products work in under an hour, so you actually feel the results, and you can trust me on that. They solve the annoying problems that we talk to our girlfriends about. The blow capsules are versatile because they can be taken anytime, whether you've had a plant-based meal or something heavier like pizza or pasta. It optimizes digestion with the use of five herbs and fruit-based digestive enzymes, so it's completely laxative-free, so you don't go running to the bathroom. They also worked with an eating disorder specialist to formulate the products and we're very intentional about creating products that would give people relief from digestive issues without the possibility of using it for weight loss purposes. They're an extremely body positive brand and believe that every size and shape is beautiful, but that no one should feel discomfort after meals. The blow capsules were designed to give people food freedoms. So you can enjoy the foods you love without that discomfort, gas, or bloating afterwards. And yes, it works on men too. Array's products are also super chic. Once you see that bottle, you'll be like, oh yeah, I have seen this all over. They look great on your beauty shelf or bag. Right now you can go to array.com and use code papaya at checkout for 10% off a one-time purchase or 15% off your first month on subscription. So when I first came across wipeies, I thought they were the cutest things ever because they are not only just adorable in your bag, but you have no idea how much you'll actually use them. It's become kind of normal life now that we have to wipe down things, whether you're traveling by plane and you want to wipe down those airplane tray tables and headrests, or you're traveling by car and you want to wipe down that steering wheel, running errands, post-workout, wherever you go, wipeies is there with you. And it wrapped in a convenient package to keep them clean and safe from germs. I have a little bag of them in my diaper bag. And I have another little bag of them in my purse. And it's one of those things that's just given me confidence as I go back out into the world. And they're just like your kind of new, on-the-go best friends. So whether you're jetting off on a destination this fall or for the holidays, hopping in the car for a road trip, simply running errands, meeting friends for happy hour, or even post-gym, Wipeys are the must-have on-the-go cleaning accessory to take with you. And Wipeys is a women-owned company based in Denver, Colorado. It was pure coincidence that Caitlin Moss launched Wipeys in March of 2020, at the beginning of when cleanliness became more important than ever. Her goal was to provide an on-the-go wet wipe for consumers to use while traveling. Though there was no travel happening in the first few months of Wipeys' introduction to the market, Wipeys has become a top accessory for staying clean on the go. And Wipees is a line of toxic-free, cruelty-free wet wipes for hands, face, device, and surfaces made with toxic-free ingredients and biodegradable wipe material. Wipees is Clean Beauty's solution to staying clean while on the go. For all my Canadian listeners, you can shop for Wipees at Saks Off 5th online and in-store. For U.S. listeners, you can shop Wipees at retailers such as Neiman Marcus, Anthropologie, or Shopop, or just head to shopwipees.com. That's S-H-O-P. W I P E Y S dot com and use code papaya for 20% off your first order. That's shopwhitebees.com using code papaya for 20% off your first order. One more time for all my friends looking for a toxic free cleaning solution while on the go, because hopefully we're going on the go now. Whitebees will be your new obsession. Head to shopwhitebees.com and use the code papaya. Let's get back to today's show. Stay safe and stay clean. How do you think that we, do you think that like when you even talk about having support and stuff like that, do you get that? Like you're, like you said, you're a confident person, but do you get that little bit of like of mom guilt or weird shame around not being your parents? Like, are you not being like the be all and end all parent?
1: No, I, so I talk a lot oh my about God. It. I want your life. I know. I, I, <laughs> and you know, people always ask like, how are you so confident? How are you? And I, I think I get it from my dad. Like, I'm not sure, but I honestly look at it and I'm like, like, I talk about the modern day village. So mm-hmm. we order takeout a lot because that works for us. And it gives me more time to Supporting spend. The yeah. 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 gives me more time to spend with Milo I'm happier because I hate cooking. Uh, my husband enjoys eating out. Um, his daycare phenomenal. I can I consider his teachers to be like a major major part of his life and his development. Yes, yes. the other children in his class major part of his development during quarantine. I felt bad because I as a 36 year old woman cannot replace what he gets the value he gets from hanging out with kids his own age all day and so and it was the same for us like with the with sleep training with baby led weaning i was able to make the end breastfeeding i gave up breastfeeding and i was totally fine with it and in, in an environment where it is difficult to Pull out formula when you're at like a mommy play date, you know, you feel like you're being judged. But at the end of the day, I really sit there and think about why we're doing the things that we're doing, why we make the choices that we make. And it's always because that is what works best for our family. So, how can someone judge me or say, like, oh, you should be doing it this way? Because no, I've already thought about what you're telling me and it doesn't work for us. And here's why. So it's like, you just have to know, and I always tell people this, whatever you choose for your family, sit for a moment and think about why you're doing that. And so whenever someone says something or you start to feel like you're being judged for doing what you're doing, just remember go back and remember why you chose to do it that way. Yeah. And, and, and it makes things so much easier because it's like, okay, yes, breastfeeding works really well for that family and for that mom. She loves it. That's great. Like, supported all the way. But I expect the same in return for making the choice to give Milo formula for our, the situation that we had hundred percent. And I think it's,
0: it, there is a lot of differences in experience for people too, especially if you do have to return back to work, the expectation to pump doesn't always work. Um, the emotional tie isn't there. And so it can be hard for people to produce milk. I also want to mention like uh, being touched out is not talked about enough. Like we can talk about that's a new, new term for motherhood, but it's like one of the bigger ones. I've noticed it a lot with you know, breastfeeding my daughter, she likes to fall asleep and use me as a soother. And I can't, I can't do it. I cannot, I have to unlatch her and put a soother in her mouth. And I watch my friends. They can like literally let them like suckle for 45 minutes. And I'm like, I'm out, I'm tapped out. Like, I feel so like I start to feel used and it's weird. Cause I know that that's not my baby <laughs> doing that, but it's, it, it reminds me of that feeling, right? Like I've, I've shared my body so much with you, but like, I'm going to have limits and it's okay to have those limits. And I think it's, I've, you know, we've supplemented formula a few days where I have like really touched out days and I'm like, here's some formula. I need a hot second with the baby not on my boob. These are huge things that I had to learn how to start to navigate and say, and, you know, as you were talking about like making decisions and sitting with them a little bit and really like owning those truths, owning those choices. It reminds me of, you know, what Oprah Winfrey said on the armchair expert um, podcast, where she was saying to Kristen Bell about the fact that You know, we don't sit with ourselves enough. We don't sit with ourselves to, you know, ask what our opinion is. We we often sponge opinions from others or we don't even buy we don't even buy a pair of shoes without asking friends if the shoes are good and if we like them and if we should buy them. It's only, um, fascinating to me and, you know, almost expected that within motherhood, we would do these same things that we would cause ourselves these same types of guilt trips or opinion, you know, sponging that we do because we really look to everybody else. We look to other people and it's like, am I doing, it's almost like asking other people, am I doing a good job or are, will you judge me? Like, and is there, when I, when I think about a lot of the things that I don't share on social media, a lot of the times they're like, truths that i hold strong enough for ourselves or things that work for us and i'm like i'm not entering into the ring of mom shame here because i know it's working for us i know what we're doing is great and well and i'm not interested in other opinions for this because i don't want to have to question my own judgment question my own instincts which is one of the more unfortunate things about motherhood is not everybody has mom instinct. Not everybody is like born that way with like mothering instincts, which creates a very difficult reality for a lot of people who are having to ask opinion and then gather to create their own. For you, when it came to being a mom, I know you created a lot of content around being a mom, but in terms of expectations versus reality, especially in the middle of like your life in as a student to becoming, you know, a mom right away. And in the middle of a pandemic, all this shit, what were those big expectations versus realities of what you thought being a mom was like and what it actually has turned out to be?
1: Yeah. I, I'm obsessed with the topic of expectations. Love it because expectations, no matter how big, like it can be like big life kind of expectations, or it can be literally what do I expect my husband to do when he comes home from work? And if he does not do what I expect him to do, it is going to make me feel a certain way. You know (sighs) what I mean? So I love expectations for motherhood. So for for school, my expectation was we moved to the GTA a couple years ago. Um, I was like, oh, perfect. So many job opportunities for me here. Um, We live on the outskirts of Toronto. So I was expecting to get a job at some big, I studied eating disorders for my PhD. I was like, I'm going to get a big, like a job at a health research institute, like work at sick kids or whatever it might be in the eating disorders programs. Then I realized what the commute is like. And my husband's a surgeon and his hours are all over the place. He's on call a lot. So it quickly became clear to me that you are not going to be able to work downtown somebody has to be around for Milo. And, you know, if my husband's on call, he can't go pick him up if something happens or... Right. Yeah, it's just, it would never work. So it's interesting how everything kind of worked its way out because now I'm doing this and I'm not, I don't have that expectation to have to go work downtown anymore. So that was huge. And it kind of just ended up working out in the end. But I remember initially being like, oh crap, like what am I gonna do and especially because working from home was not really a thing before COVID happened. So there was that. And then expectations for motherhood. I think I mentioned like start
0: with birth for me. How was birth?
1: Oh yeah, it was it, you know, I'm so I'm an over preparer for everything. Oh, okay. Research everything like as much as possible. So I was very, my husband's a physician. My sister was a nurse. So she was in the room with me as well. So I was very, like, I wasn't that nervous or scared. I had a really easy pregnancy. I was induced, which I kind of liked because I'm type A. So I was, I knew what was happening, right? It's like, okay, (laughs) now we're going to do this. Here's what you can expect to happen in the next half hour. And I'm like, okay, great. Perfect. Thank you. And so birth was fine. and then. One thing that I was not expecting was the anxiety after giving birth. Mm. And I remember every single night at around 7 p.m., because Jeopardy! would be on, I would just start uncontrollably crying. And it was like the world was ending and nobody else around me knew that the world was ending, but I did. Like, And I always describe, because my husband's not really familiar with what anxiety feels like, And I always say to him, you know, when you think you're about to rear end the car in front of you and your whole body.
0: Yes. Yes. Like has that reaction. That's such a good descriptor.
1: It's like that, but it doesn't go away. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. clear up once. Cortisol spikes. Yes. And so, and it's irrational. I had no idea why I was feeling this way. So that was huge for me. And I started to feel for other moms that have postpartum anxiety because I had no idea what that was like. So the, the emotional part of it, like the anxiety, the physical recovery of postpartum was, you know, taking 10 minutes to just to go pee and having to apply like ointments and witch hazel and burning. And like, that was just nuts to me. Don't pee the wrong way. It's like the lean forward and the Perry <laughs> bottle. It's like,
0: oh dear pee in a way that is not going. Cause you know, men just get to pee out of a hole and it just goes one direction yeah most times. (laughs) It goes one direction. And like for women, it's like it might leak a certain way. It might go down to your butthole. might go forward. It might spray. Like it can be on your thighs. Have a baby and have open wounds around that and then try and take a piss. Like, oh my God. Holy crap. Like you do not think about those things. They do not tell you about those things in the prenatal. They're not like schedule some. Fucking time to go to the bathroom. Cause you're going to need like 30 minutes to poop, probably at least 10 to 15 minutes, to, like change your pad out to like pee, get it all
1: done. And you're going to have to do it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and something that happened to me that obviously was not expecting about a week after he was born, I developed like a welt in between like my vagina and like my butt cheek. And like, I already could barely sit down And I was like, really? Oh my God!" Now I have this welt. So my husband looks at it. He's like, oh yeah, like you should probably go to the doctor for it. I had to go back to the hospital so they could like surgically drain this welt on my butt. And the one good thing to come out of that was they froze me for the procedure. And so I remember on the car ride home being like, I feel amazing. Like, cause I couldn't feel anything anymore. But then once, once the freezing started to wear off, It was another story, but I was like, who gets a welt? Like, on.
0: (laughs) I've told this story before, but I think it bears repeating, especially because it is so close to my heart. Back in high school, I couldn't shop where my friends shop because they never sold my size. I was a bigger size and I couldn't find it. Our family, well, we used to travel to Old Navy two hours away so I could get jeans that fit and looked good. It changed everything for me to be able to do that. So when Old Navy came to my town, it meant I could shop in the same place as my peers, which was a huge confidence boost. And now things are changing again with Old Navy in a way that brings shoppers and friends together even more. So, dear women everywhere, let's start a fashion revolution. Old Navy is changing the shopping game with bought equality. Bought equality, well, that means size equality, price equality, and style for women everywhere. That's right. Old Navy is making every one of its styles in every size with no difference in price because we deserve it. And our moms, sisters, and friends do too. Old Navy's body equality started with you, the customer. Old Navy read thousands of product reviews, conducted thousands of interviews, and even went on shopping trips with real customers to hear what you had to say. And then they really, really listened. You wanted clothes made to fit on real women's bodies and Old Navy heard you. They spent years listening, studying, modeling, testing, refining, and perfecting so that you and women everywhere can have amazing fashion that celebrates each of us as we are. Body quality means that now in every store, you'll see mannequins in multiple sizes and online you'll see styles you love on models in size 4, 12, and 18. It means consistent and comfortable fit in every size, double zero through 30, extra small through 4X. It took years of work, thousands of revisions, thousands of people, including customers to create this fully integrated shopping experience. That's bought equality, a revolutionized shopping experience for women everywhere. See oldnavycom Navy.com equality for additional details, styles subject to availability. Whew, let's get ourselves in those jeans and get back to today's show. Like it's too much. I remember I had this is this is so TMI but I'm going there. Basically because postpartum poops are so difficult. I don't know why. I don't know if like everything just is trying to heal and dry up. I had anal fissures. So basically having to poop through cuts and I had no idea it was a postpartum thing until my other friend had the exact same thing and we're just like there's birth and then there's trying to shit through actual cuts in your anus. And I was like this is a pain like no like I was I remember my old house We had tub right next to the toilet and I would have to like hold it. And I would just scream and cry. And literally this is what's taking a poop after having a baby, not to scare anybody, but I do think, like you said, like being prepared for birth, but being prepared for like the, the things that nobody's telling you about, like the stuff that like, if I knew, you know what, pooping might be really difficult. I probably would have been on stool softeners from the get go. I probably would have made sure that I took more time for myself, took breaks to go to the bathroom. And I wouldn't have just been like carrying on my merry way and then all of a sudden having anal fissures. Yep.
1: I always say, like, you're pushing so hard to get a baby out. Like you will break your butthole. Like your butthole. Break
0: your butthole. Nobody wants to talk about the butthole. Yeah. People
1: talk about the vagina all the time, and that's expected. But your butthole will never be the same. I always tell people we spend so much time preparing for labor and delivery and it is such a quick and temporary moment in time. And we spend no time preparing for postpartum, no time. And it's like prepare for postpartum, like have your, your birth preferences and all that, but also have a postpartum plan in place Yes, and like research up like things that you can expect in postpartum when it comes to mental health, when it comes to physical recovery and just to be prepared for that because...
0: Even relationship expectations, right? Oh. Like you think about, I had postpartum anxiety um, with my firstborn, so I couldn't drive. I wasn't able to drive. I had to get driven everywhere. I was not prepared for that. This time, you know, I I felt okay. I was able to get in the car and do things by myself, but I did have to exercise just like, ex- like explaining to my partner that I might need help going to basic doctor's appointments in the early days because... I don't know if I'm going to have that anxiety spike again. If you've never given birth before, you've never experienced postpartum anxiety, how would you know to prepare for those things? So there is a bit of like the unexpected, but I think a lot of it comes down to what are your expectations? What do you think that the first weeks are going to look like? And that expectation versus reality is always going to be a little bit different, but giving that just as much effort as the unpredictability of birth, I had four birth plans. I had zero postpartum plan. Yeah, I had none. Mm. I had none. I had a really great partner who happened to be off work because I wasn't working. He had benefits. He could take it off. And so he was able to do those things, but I still had to exercise like I'm gonna need you to do meals for me. I need you to get me drinks multiple times a day. I don't, I can't be going I hemorrhaged once from trying to do too much. I'm like, I need you to babysit me. Like, do not let me move from this position. And I need you to like be on watch for me. And having to really advocate for those things, thank goodness we had the opportunity to do that. But for a lot of people, that's not there. So knowing how to support yourself potentially without a partner there, without a support person there, managing those expectations, what is it going to look like instead of just like, what is it going to be when my water breaks in the middle of yeah. a grocery store, which we all think is going to happen. And it like never happens. Most people's water don't break no. before <laughs> delivery. Yet we, we really hyper-focus, but I think a lot of that comes from the media and movies and television, right? We have the birth is the birth is the thing. It's a scary. And you're right. It's like yeah it's a scary people are scared right? of it but it's the after stuff like i i find myself whenever i see a friend have a baby now my first thing is like how's your how's your vagina like how's your healing like how are you doing how's your anxiety like I want to ask those questions. Not like, what's the baby way? And what is the little, and tell me about the birth and tell me about that. Because it's like, you sit in the aftermath and there's so much attention around the birth and you forget. And we all do it. I don't know why we do this. I don't know what part of like our internal makings are so drawn to pregnant women and birth. And then it's like, right afterwards, we've seen the baby. We know their name. We know their weight. We're good. We like check out of the whole thing. And I can tell you, even watching my, like, Instagram story watches went up to like a million views and dropped to like a 100,000 within like a week and a half. And it's like, that's how much attention we give pregnant people. And then we're like, eh, it's good. I'm not trying to like make it about like how many Instagram stories (laughs) you have. I just, I just mean to be like reflective of that's what it feels like in community as well. We are so hyper-focused on supporting a birth. And those early days of like a newborn, but let's be real. Like it's a, it's more like for me, it was like week three to four. There was no more like real attention. There was no, the meals had run out. We were starting to get ready for like bracing for the rest of life. And you do feel like I didn't really prepare for this. I was not ready for the reality of what this would be like and how much is falling on my plate. And I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared for, um, you know, another lockdown and kids being at home. Like there's a lot of um, things that we, we couldn't even prepare for. Right. Um, when it comes to you now, like in terms of your own, like physical healing, emotional healing, all of it, how old, how old Milo now? He'll be three in a couple of weeks. How long do you feel like it took for you to feel normal, quote unquote, normal again, or has that ever happened for you?
1: It's interesting because I did not have any, like with regard to physical recovery and pelvic floor stuff, I didn't have any issues until he was about 18 months old, which is interesting because you would think that you would experience issues right away and and that they would be the worst right away, but that did not happen for me. So when he was about 18 months old, and we would do our TikTok dances in quarantine. Yes. Like this is when I realized I had an issue. I would—I
0: found out on a trampoline, oh, so I know where this is going. Yeah.
1: So yeah. And we were doing some kind of dance and I was like, oh my God, like I just leaked. And my husband's a urologist. So I texted him and I'm like, I was just doing a TikTok dance. And its it was always when my bladder was full, but I was holding it. And then I started to notice if I would sneeze, like some would leak. And I was like, oh frig no. Like, cause I'm, You know, I took care of myself. I saw pelvic floor physios, like the whole thing. Yeah. And it was still happening to me because it doesn't matter. It does not discriminate. You know, these things doesn't matter. So um went and saw pelvic floor physio again, got on like a little bit of a routine. And I think just in general, getting stronger in the core, like in my core, helped a lot. But it was also going into lower back pain, which a lot of people don't realize can be related to pelvic floor dysfunction. So you can get lower back pain. So it was like a whole thing. And I just started to realize how important the aftercare is for women and, and how it's not even a thing. It's like, you know, I had my six week checkup. you, You got six weeks. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, your organs aren't falling out of your vagina. So you're good to go. Like, you know, have fun, and it's like, no, it's so much more complicated than that, and it's such a long process to properly heal your body um so physically, like I would say I'm pretty well like I don't think I'm ever gonna be fully the exact same like I think every once in a while I'm bound to like leak or something, but I keep working at it emotionally, I would say I'm like pretty well back on track because Milo's in daycare, I have my yeah. life like. Yeah. We're in a routine and everything is working. Of course, toddlers come with their own issues, but for the most part, I would say back on track.
0: It's fascinating that you said, you know, that six week mark, because it's also the six week mark that you're cleared for sex. And sometimes I wonder if like (laughs) a lot of times the focus on healing is like, when are you going to be able to, you know, satisfy your partner again? There's a lot of focus on postpartum sex and like the ability to be ready. Like we had that six week window. And I think we were both like, do we give it a go? But it was terrifying. And having to like, be like, I'm really, really scared. This really freaks me out. And to this day, I'm seven months po- postpartum. It still is like, it's a bit of a freak out for me. Cause I'm like, this is such a tender area and I'm so touched out emotionally and physically. It's a, it takes you like to a whole other level of yourself. And yet it's like, but are your stitches healed? Because you're, go. mm-hmm. like, go. yeah. you nope, mm-hmm. you're good to go. Like, let's go. Did you prolapse? No, you're good to go. Like, let's just go. So there is such a weird, um, you know, expectation that exists there. And I think talking long game about postpartum, I think is, you know, for the longest time we talked postpartum was only like a three-month thing. And I remember saying something to my midwife and she's like, it's a year. And I was like, what? And she's like, it's going to be a year, like minimum it's a year. And I really appreciated, um, Nick's where did this whole campaign called life after birth. And I thought this is a way better terminology because are we truly ever the same? No matter how you birthed or how you came into parenthood, are you truly ever the same again and i and i think the answer is no you are changed and you're different your your normals are new normals there's familiarities of your past self but they're no longer that person anymore you have evolved your body has evolved there is re- your relationship has evolved there's an entire life that begins after birth and so this whole notion that you know it's a 6 week expectation period of healing you're back into your career your job your everything meals on the table Dicks in your bag, whatever we want to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's so, it just fascinates me. But I mean, I could talk to you about mom guilt and expectations versus reality absolutely forever. But I know this is like what you do. And I would love for you to kind of share with all of us how we can find you and your, you know, growing, you know, relatability. Blah, blah, blah. I can't talk. Relatable content that you're doing around motherhood. And I just think it's it's really badass and it's really out there to be somebody who like chooses to create community for other people. Um, in that way. I know it's something I'm really passionate about. So I'd love for other people to check you out and find you and all the things. So where can everyone
1: find Renee? Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, so on Instagram and TikTok, it's at Renee Rena with the little underscore thing because somebody took all the other options. Um, you, but the podcast is called the Mom Room Podcast and it's on all major platforms. Um, and yeah, my blog is ReneeRina.com. And I've kind of put it to the side a little bit, but I'm still, what I like to do is have other moms send me their stories or experiences with different things in motherhood. And I like to share their stories on the blog. So, so that's what I've been doing most recently. And yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, Bailey runs my um, podcast Instagram account. And it's at the mom room podcast. And it's so beautiful. I just like to go oh, to She it. does mine too. It's uh, so lovely. Like I just like yeah. to go to it and just look at the pretty colors and I'm like, ah, thanks. So
0: I know that woman has a craft. She has a craft. She has a craft. And again, something I would have loved to be able to do by myself, but I got to support somebody else in their business by doing it. So I feel no, I feel no guilt. I feel no shame. Um, For everyone listening, I hope you really enjoyed this conversation all around, you know, being a creator, being a mom, the nuances between motherhood and working in school and expectations versus reality, postpartum anxiety and buttholes. My gosh, we went everywhere thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for giving us a space to kind of vent out a lot of these things, this, the, the unspoken parts of, of motherhood and postpartum. And I hope you check out Renee and her work and I'll I have everything for you in the show notes and we will see you next week.